Hello, hello, and welcome to today's episode of Saddest Night Out. My name is Roy, and I'm the host of this daily podcast, and it's primarily about music and creative culture in London. Although today's episode, or one of today's episodes, I should say, is a little bit different from that, because this is part of a new series that I call A Personal History. This is when I talk about some of the artists that I have found very influential and tell you about my history with that artist. And it feels only fitting to start with The Strokes. So, who are The Strokes? We'll start with their introduction on Wikipedia. Because whenever someone's discovering something new, it's not uncommon to start by searching for it on Wikipedia and seeing what's said about them on there. So, according to Wikipedia, The Strokes are an American rock band from New York City. Formed in 1998, the band is composed of singer Julian Casablancas, lead guitarist Nick Valenci, rhythm guitarist Albert Hammond Jr., bassist Nikolai Frecher, and drummer Fabrizio Moretti. Following the conclusion of five album deals with RCA and Rough Trade, the band has continued to release new music through Casablancas' cult records. Met with widespread critical acclaim, The Strokes' 2001 debut, Is This It?, helped usher in the garage rock revival movement of the early 21st century and ranks number 8 on Rolling Stone's 100 best debut albums of all time, number 2 on Rolling Stone's 100 best albums of the 2000s, 199 on Rolling Stone's 500 greatest albums of all time and number 4 in the NME top 500 albums of all time. This is a very highly regarded rock band. So that's the general impression of who the Strokes are. Let me tell you about how I discovered them. So I was loosely aware of the Strokes. I was all of 12 years old when their debut came out, so I wasn't really hip to the scene, if you will. I wasn't paying that much attention. I was still very much in the age of just watching whatever music was on TV, whether it was The Box, music television, you control. That was a music TV channel where you could, I think, either call or text in and give a three-digit number because there were, I guess, 999 or maybe a 1,000 music videos. Each had a three-digit code. So if you texted that number in or called and gave that number, you would essentially request that music video and at some point it would get played. So I was watching The Box, maybe MTV... There was a time when Channel 4 played a lot of music and had Pop World and things like that. I was just somewhat aware of music, but I wasn't really focused on it or really taking anything to heart. I was a big fan of Top of the Pops to the point where I would get Top of the Pops magazine or Smash Hits magazine, but I wouldn't quite get Enemy. So I wasn't really into rock music. For me, I was maybe aware of their music videos. One of their earliest music videos is for a song called Hard to Explain, and it starts with a montage of cars in different pop culture moments. So it might be cars from video games, cars from old movies, cars from old TV shows. Then eventually you see the band, and then you see a lot of other stock footage as well. They had, from the outset, you could tell there was a strong aesthetic to appear as though they are a band from the past and also from the future at the same time. In fact, I think in one of their interviews talking about the sound of their music and their debut album, Julian said to the producer of their first album, Gordon Raphael, that he wants to sound like a band from the future sent back in time, or maybe it was a band from the past sent to the future. 
but there's something very retro-futuristic about them. So I was loosely aware about their video for Hard to Explain. I probably saw the music video for Last Night, which is just them performing on a stage, and it's the live recording from that. And I know I saw the video for 1251, which is where they look like they're from the movie Tron. It looks very cool. But it wasn't until their third album that I was really paying attention. That album came out in January 2006, and the campaign for it was started by the song Juicebox. Now, I was working at a Virgin Megastore, which, for those of you who weren't around in those days, that was a music store. It sold, I think there might still be, no, I think it's now HMV. That's the prevailing music store at time of recording, because that tends to change. But Virgin Megastore, I was living in Exeter. There was one major Virgin Megastore there, and I worked at it. It's where we sold, you'd buy DVDs, you'd buy video games, you'd buy CDs, you'd buy books. You'd just buy basic pop culture, media, etc. This is before Netflix and Amazon Video and things like that really took off. Maybe it's around the time YouTube was just starting. I can't quite remember. But I was working upstairs at the music counter and Juicebox would play quite often over the stereo at that store. And I could see the strokes section of the CD racks from where the counter was. And the cover for their debut album, Is This It?, is a leather glove on someone's butt. Now, as a, what, 2006, so I am about 16, 17, maybe 17, turning 18 years old. I, that cover was like, "Mm, that seems interesting. And I liked the songs that I had heard. So my real entry point to them was First Impressions of Earth. And I thought it was cool. I thought Juicebox and You Only Live Twice were really cool songs. I quite enjoyed the album, but I I still wasn't quite taking anything to heart at that point. It wasn't until I joined my first band. Actually, I'm trying, now I'm getting all mixed up with my timeline because I think I joined my first band before I got into Strokes, but I can't quite remember. Probably should have thought about this before I pressed record, but that's how we do things here on Saddest Night Out. Either way, when I was in a band, the guitarist in that band had this pedal where you could play something and loop it. It wasn't one of those really intricate loop pedals where you can, put, you can loop about six, seven, eight, nine, infinite number of things. This was fairly rudimentary. You could play something for about 16 beats and then it would loop that and you could play something over it. Our rhythm guitarist had one of those pedals. I thought that seemed cool because I had started making music so I got the exact same pedal and I still have it to this day. It is a Korg Toneworks pedal. I can't remember the exact model but uh, it's lasted me quite a while. It's coming up to 15 years that I've had it now and it's still going strong, touch wood. I was really influenced by how The Strokes made rock music seem like pop music. Now let me try and explain a bit more what I mean when I say that. When I was younger than working at that record store, I was very loosely interested in most music. I was happy to listen to whatever was on Radio 1, which is a national radio station here in the UK, part of the BBC, which if you just search British Broadcasting Corporation, you'll see it's kind of a big deal. So I'd listen to Radio 1, I'd watch whatever music was on TV. I was a passive fan of most music. And when you're a passive fan of most music, it tends to be pop music that fills your your view, whether it's Britney Spears, NSYNC, Backstreet Boys, trying to think a little later, maybe mm, 
things done by the Neptunes because there was a time when the charts were just filled by productions by the Neptunes or Timberland. So I wasn't a hardcore fan. I wasn't out buying albums by all of these artists. I just enjoyed seeing their music on TV or hearing it on the radio. I wasn't that interested in bands. And the Strokes, I feel as though they reminded everyone that there was a time when rock bands were the pop music of the day. Back in the days of the Rolling Stones and the Beatles, they were rock bands, but they were like what One Direction are now at the time of recording this. Oh, and but that on steroids. Like they were the birth of what One Di- One Direction are probably one of the most recent iterations of that. But the Beatles were the birth of that type of fanaticism, or at least around the time of the birth of that type of fanaticism. Fast forward to the two thousands. At least for me, rock music felt like music you had to study that was music for people who were quote-unquote interested in real music you know the the pop music the Christina Aguilera's the Usher's that that was pop that was just fodder that wasn't real music Oasis Coldplay that was real music and I was vaguely interested in that as well but not too much but the Strokes they ignited that idea of cool with guitars for me this is very much a personal history And I really liked how they put songs together. I liked that I could listen to that album. I eventually did go back and listen to Is This It and really fell in love with it. Still very much in love with it to this day. But one thing I really, really liked about The Strokes is that, one, you can hear them playing their songs. There's a lot of music today where I really enjoy it, but I can't pick out who is playing what. Whereas with The Strokes, you can make out that Nick Valencia is playing guitar in your left ear and Albert's on your right ear. You can hear that Albert's playing the solo in Last Night. You you can hear the plectrums hitting the strings. You can hear the, the drum kit in the room. It feels like a group of people in a room making music, which sounds cool in itself. But what I particularly like about that is that it inspires me to want to pick up an instrument learn how to play it, and start making music myself. When I hear some of the music today, I enjoy it, but it doesn't leave me feeling, oh, I want to do that. It feels like there's a distance there. Even with a lot of bands today, there will be the band on stage, and then there'll be some extra members in the shadows in the background. Or there'll be a backing track, just to try and replicate what's on the record. But with the strokes... I like that what you saw is what you got, and it was those five people making music with the instruments they had in their hands. There was just something tangible about it. That's probably been the most lasting impression that they've had on me. But what I also liked is that what the music they made sounded like pop songs. It didn't sound like, at the time, I wasn't too big of a fan of Radiohead yet. That grew on me eventually. But a lot of rock music felt like real chin-stroking, mmm, I can appreciate it music. Whereas The Strokes, you hear a song like Someday, and you don't need to appreciate that song. As soon as you hear it, it sounds as sugary and catchy as any other pop music. There was a time when I first joined Instagram, before I started posting pictures, I would only post stories. Stories are pictures and videos that disappear after a day. It's as if the photos on Instagram are forever up there. They're part of your profile. But the Instagram story section, it's almost as if it's your TV channel and it's a bit disposable. So you post something up on Saturday and by Sunday evening it's gone. So people who are watching you here and now can see what you're up to right now. When I first started posting stories on Instagram, 
I was also posting on the Reddit page for The Strokes. Reddit is a massive message board, essentially, and they have separate message boards for different subjects, and of course there's one for The Strokes. And on there I posted how the melodies that Julian sings on his debut album, and most of their songs just in general, sound like they could be jingles for products on commercials, on adverts. For instance, the vocal melody for Someday is In many ways they'll miss the good old days Someday, someday And I said something like When I go out and want to feel real nice I use just bright Or something silly like that But that's how catchy and memorable those melodies are You could use them to sell products And that's true for all of the songs on that debut album there weren't any eight-minute-long songs with this solo and then that solo and then an instrumental section and key change and different uh, chord sequences and all that. It didn't feel unnecessarily intellectual. It felt like it was straight to the heart, straight to the hips, just you could start tapping your toe and clicking your fingers straight away. And that, when you're at that impressionable age where you're mo- more likely to gravitate towards that which sounds chirpy and fun... Because I find most people who are into, I don't know, television or the Velvet Underground, bands who are both influences on the strokes, apparently. Not so much television, actually, but they sound similar to television. But a lot of people who are into quote-unquote cool music tend to have a sibling, or they live near a record store. They had someone influence them to get into that music. And I had that too. And I'll get into that on another one of these personal history episodes. But with the strokes, I didn't feel like I needed that introduction. I didn't need that tour guy to tell me this is why they're good, because they reference X and Y and Z. They just sounded good. So we have the fact that their their music sounded tangible, which made me want to pick up a guitar and start playing, and it sounded catchy. The thing, another thing I really like about the strokes, which I think might be my favourite thing about them, is that Julian, the singer, apparently he studied a music course in classical music and composition. Later on in their story, they all went on to make solo albums. And Julian's album, you could almost call it prog rock. He really indulges the more intellectual side of his composing. But on their debut album, at least on their first two albums in my opinion, you can tell that he's thinking a bit deeper as far as composition is concerned. But... He has to funnel it through the most rudimentary setup, which is two guitars, a bass guitar, drums, and his voice. There are no overdubs, there's no secret synths or extra secret in- instruments used. It's just, or at least as far as the production sounds, it feels as though it's just them. So he's still trying to utilize his intricate technical skills that wasn't the sentence i wanted to use let's try that again he's still trying to employ what he's learned as far as composing is concerned but he has to put it through the the caveman ensemble of the two guitars bass and drums and the best illustration of this for me is on the song hard to explain because that song there is an over there is a lead guitar line that goes Now, 
If you rewind this podcast and listen back to what I just sang and count the measures as I sing it, you will count that there are nine measures. That's two. There's one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. And if you go through all I just sang in that manner, you'll count that there are nine measures. That's an odd number of measures. Typically, you would do eight. But this is the testament to the genius of his songwriting at this stage. He's trying to do something different but make it seem as though it belongs there. Because if it was eight measures, that lead line would go... Measure two. That's eight measures. By the way, those last two measures, that's actually played in the bass guitar, not the lead guitar. But it's the da 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 that it should feel wrong because it's now nine measures instead of eight. It's an extra measure shoved in there. But it would feel more wrong without it. Similarly, the bass guitar and the rhythm guitar, they are playing the same chord. So the rhythm guitar is playing the chord and the bass guitar is playing the root note. But on that da 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 they split up. The rhythm guitar plays a C, and the bass guitar plays a G. So all the other chords, they're playing the same thing. There's this cohesiveness to it. They're moving as a unit. And then in that one measure that feels extra, they split up. And it builds a sense of anticipation. Because they meet together on the D. Yeah, we're getting a little bit technical here. I didn't know it would get to this point, but hey, let's go with it. And it is, for me, it's thrilling. But it's so deceptively simple because it still just sounds like a rock band. And when it comes to rock bands, and this is one of the other many influences that the Strokes have had on me, there is this overriding stereotype that rock bands are a group of people who just picked up guitars, started strumming, just jam together, whatever happens, happens. And I guess they're a band now, they've got a couple of songs and away they go. There seems to be this air when it comes to bands that you don't want to try to be a band. It's almost as if you are a band by accident. There's a strong atmosphere of shrugging of shoulders and, oh, yeah, I guess we're a band, you know, or whatever. And sometimes the music sounds like that too. You can tell it's been written by just jamming together because it's very predictable and gets a bit dull. There are a lot of bands I've seen at shows in London who very much sound like it's more fun to be on the stage playing with them than to be in the audience watching. They're having fun jamming together, but I am bored as a spectator. I don't get that impression with the strokes. And in this early stage, it's well known that Julian was the composer. He wrote all of the parts and then the band performed it. And in my opinion... Actually, I'll get to that point. I'll use that to... No, I'll say no. Sorry, I didn't mean to start backing and forthing. I've recorded, what, 15 minutes now? I'm not going back and starting again. So we're rolling with it, people. Stay with me. I feel as though The Strokes were... My favourite season of The Strokes is when Julian was the conductor of that orchestra. That is Nick, Albert, Nikolai and Fabrizio. And I didn't even get to the fact that in Hard to Explain there's a pause. He says at some point, I think in the the end of the first chorus is... This place, the joke is on you, this place is a zoo, you're right, it's true. And there's a pause for two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, for 
three, four, five, for seven beats, there's silence. And then the band comes back in together. And again, it's just thrilling. It's exciting. It's like a movie trailer. It's like a, one of my... Kill Bill Volume 1 has, was the first Quentin Tarantino movie I really paid attention to because the trailer was so cool. Uma Thurman's in the, the yellow and black outfit, which is a nod to Bruce Lee back in the day. And it's got this dun, dun, dun soundtrack to it. it was just, it's just a two-minute trailer, but it sounds so exciting. That's what this song feels like in a song, played with guitars. And that is very much what I try to emulate in my music. There was a time when I wanted to put posters up advertising my band, and it would say something along the lines of, like, Daft Punk meets The Strokes. Because what I want to do, I very much adhere to the idea of sticking to that rudimentary instrument setup. Drum kit, two guitars, a bass guitar, and my voice. Nothing more, nothing less. Maybe something less. Maybe a piano at some point. But no overdub guitars, no extra synths, no extra backing vocals, nothing extra. Because for me, if I start dipping my toe in that pool, I will never get around to finishing anything because there are endless options to choose from. I like having those set limits because now you only have two hands. You only have ten fingers, or eight fingers, two thumbs, if you have all of your limbs and digits. You have to make something work with just that. That's what... I tried, that's the approach I try to bring to my music as well. No, you are limited in what you have, so you have to employ your imagination to make something interesting with it. There are so many mediocre songs that have cool synth sounds or drum machines or whatever to try and paper over the cracks of uninspired writing. But for me, I'm not a great singer and I'm not the best guitarist, so I have to really think about how I put the song together for it to be worthwhile. And that's something I got from The Strokes. All of this is without mentioning just how much they defined cool post-2000. Do a search for The Strokes and look at any picture of them and you'll see exactly what I mean. They just look like they are a rock band. And to this day, you can feel lasting tremors of their influence on fashion, on style, on the culture at large the strokes were a complete meteorite that just changed everything i wasn't paying attention when they changed everything but i definitely noticed the aftershocks if you ever see anyone in converse shoes and skinny jeans the strokes weren't the first people to do it but i can bet money they influenced the person wearing that or they influenced the person who influenced the person you see wearing that they would and they would they arrived at a time when there was more of a stranglehold on what got broadcast to the masses. Now, everyone has a blog, everyone has a podcast, everyone has a SoundCloud or an Instagram or a website or a YouTube channel. There's a million and one places trying to tell you what's in and what's cool. So if something truly cool comes along, it's a lot harder for it to get the reach that the Strokes had at the start of the decade. Because back in the days of the Strokes, there was no YouTube. Back then, going to see gigs was like the night out. Whereas now, you could just have just as good a time staying in watching Netflix or playing video games as going out to a show. Back then, going to gigs was the thing. And the Strokes gave you a reason to want to go to gigs because you thought, oh, I could see something as cool as that. Now, since then... A lot has been said about their debut. I mentioned in that Wikipedia article how 
Their debut album is number 8 on Rolling Stone's 100 Best Debut Albums of All Time. It's number 4 in Enemy's Top 500 Albums of All Time. It was a big deal, to put it lightly. Since then, I am one of those fans who feels they've continued to bring out great material. But I am particularly beholden to that early stage. Since then, there's all all types of talk about what's gone on within the band. After those initial three albums, they have released to date... The first release was the Modern Age EP, which was a demo they recorded to get some more shows. It led to them getting signed and was the real... the the spark that started everything. Is This It is the debut from 2001. Room on Fire came out 2003. First Impressions of Earth 2006. Angles 2011, because there was a five-year gap between albums. Come Down Machine, I think 2013. Let's have a quick scroll down. Come down machine. Goodness, just tell me when it came out. 2013. And then Future Past Present EP came out 2016. So, five albums. Is This It, Room on Fire, First Impressions of Earth, Angles, and Come Down Machine. Two EPs at the start, it was The Modern Age, the most recent is Future, Present, Past. They've recently played some shows this year, 2009, and they played a new song, The Adults Are Talking, so it's looking as though there is new music on the horizon. There have been different quarrels going on within the band, at least as far as the press have said. I can't recommend enough reading the book Meet Me in the Bathroom by Lizzie Goodman because it is a fantastic illustration of what it was like to be in that band during that early stage when all of the hype was there. Since then, there's been many bands who have followed a similar path of having massive hype around them in the early stages. In fact, directly after them, you had Interpol, Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs. A little further down the line, there was LCD Sound System. Even further down the line, there was Vampire Weekend. Right now... If I'm being honest, the band the 1975 feel like the most recent iteration of what happened with the Strokes. Just a lot of hype and excitement around the idea of the band and then the music delivering on that excitement. There was a massive, well not massive, there was a five year hiatus between First Impressions of Earth and Angles and the book Meet Me in the Bathroom goes into that as well. This episode, this conversation, the conversation, this rant of mine, I guess, isn't so much about the gossip that happened around the band, but more how that band affected me. With each consequent album, I haven't loved them. I, it's less about that intrinsic love that I had for the debut, and it's more about appreciating what they're going for. Maybe it's because I'm getting older and it's harder for me to love anything that way anymore. I don't know if it... I can't really speak to some authoritative comment on the quality of their music from then on because art is so subjective you like what you like etc etc i can only speak for myself i really enjoyed their most recent album come down machine as i mentioned in that in intro from the wikipedia article it was the last album on their deal with rca and rough trade record labels and if you look at the album artwork that the artwork for come down machine feels like a reflection of what they did with Is This It. On the artwork for Is This It, there are f- like 
full-face pictures of each member of the band, as well as their producer and their guitar tech. On Come Down Machine, there are similar images, but with a red background, and it's them in silhouette rather than their actual faces. It feels as though they're turning out the lights and leaving the room or leaving the place where that came from and will be starting a new era. I believe in the more recent releases, rather than Julian writing everything, it's more democratic. I think they all went out and did solo stuff so they could flex those creative muscles that maybe they felt weren't being flexed while they were together. If Julian was the overriding dictator, feels like a strong word, maybe supervisor for what would be in the finished product, maybe you as the drummer had ideas that you felt you couldn't express in the band, so you pursued a solo project. And, I, again, I appreciate what they've gone for in the more recent stuff, but there's a part of me that, as I said earlier, I think this orchestra was at its best, in my opinion. I liked it the most when Julian is at the helm. But even Julian's solo music has taken a very different tact. I mentioned how at the start of their recording career, it feels as though Julian still had all of those out there in, in quote marks, out there ideas musically, but he had to funnel them through the band instrumentation and still arrive at something that sounded somewhat pop. With his solo work, it sounds like he can really indulge in the more out there sounds and musical ideas. He's not chained to trying to keep it to two guitars, bass and drums. He's not trying to keep it as a conventional pop song. He's going where his imagination wants to go. Meanwhile, Albert Hammond Jr., he's all, he was the first to release some solo material. And his solo material actually sounds the most like The Strokes. Even though it's him writing it rather than Julian. But yeah, I am just particularly beholden to their earlier material. And it's the approach that I sense from that earlier material that has most informed my writing. So when I got that loop pedal I mentioned about five hours ago, I've been here a while. Thank you if you're still listening. When I got that loop pedal, my style of writing was greatly influenced by the strokes. I would write, I'd play a riff, loop that riff, and then play the different chord. The bass line would be the chords, the chord structure underneath, and I'd start building from there. When I joined my first band, I went from just singing the lyrics to writing my own lyrics to writing odd parts to writing songs to coming up with whole EPs, albums, and the whole discography, essentially. That never came to pass with that band, but it's music I'm still clinging to now because I love it so much and I'm now building upon it and putting it out there at least in performance terms anyway I'll get to the recording side but the influence, the shadow of the strokes looms very large over what it is I do the Arctic Monkeys were another massive influence particularly with the guitarist in that early band Felix but they might get their own episode as well in fact the most recent Arctic Monkeys album Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino, the first line of the album is, I just wanted to be one of the strokes. Arguably, the Arctic Monkeys were the biggest band to pick up where the strokes left off and take it the furthest. Their album AM, which I think was also their fifth album, they've now released a sixth. So they started after the strokes, but I think they've overtaken the strokes in how many albums they've released. They've gone on to... It always the strokes always felt like something of a shoulda woulda coulda. They're great in their own way, and they talk about how they never expected to be the biggest biggest band. They wanted to be the coolest, somewhat underground band. 
Arctic Monkeys feel like they went on to be the biggest, biggest band. One of the most interesting things about this book, Meet Me in the Bathroom, is how the Strokes had a very noticeable influence on a lot of the bands that got big in the 2000s. But some of those bands, like Kings of Leon, like The Killers, like Arctic Monkeys, went on to headline Glastonbury, went on to, in some cases, win Grammy Awards, and really, you know, do big, noticeable things, become household names. The Strokes didn't. They are still the most revered, I'd argue, among those in the know. But to date, they've never headlined Glastonbury. They've never quite climbed up to the highest pedestal in that regard. Although I do believe Julian Casablancas is a Grammy Award winner because he worked on the album Random Access Memories by Daft Punk. And I'll talk more about them later. I mentioned how earlier I wanted to advertise my current band, Loads of Japanese Band, as like Daft Punk meets The Strokes. And then The Strokes went and worked with Daft Punk when, ja- when Julian sang on a song by Daft Punk. Ah, what can you say? I don't know where I was going with that thought. So, The Strokes are one of the landmark bands, landmark artists, landmark movements for me in this century. For me, there are three artists that form, to some degree, the primary colours of my musical influences. They are The Strokes, Kanye West, and Daft Punk. So, look forward to... If, if I decide to post this, I will go on to post episodes about... Daft Punk and Kanye West in the future as well. I still love The Strokes. I th- I will always love The Strokes because they're such a fascinating band. They're at that stage now where no matter what they do, I will be interested because I have the utmost respect for them. And the, those, those first two albums in particular, all of their music, but particularly those first two albums, will always be near and dear to my heart. I've been doing a bunch of clearing out recently, but one thing I haven't thrown away is the enemy, an issue of the enemy magazine back when it was still a magazine. And it's celebrating the 10 year anniversary of that first album. Is this it? The Strokes were the only band, the only musicians where I owned all of their albums in a physical manner. Not anymore because I don't have future present past in a physical copy. But all of their other... I don't have their EPs, but I still have all of their albums. They're the only band where I have all of their albums on CD, as well as, you know, Spotify, etc. For me, they will always be the most definitive idea of call in the the 21st century. I will always be... I will always hold those early... Their music writing in general in the highest regard, particularly those early albums. (sighs) Ah, yeah. The Strokes. My favourite band. I I say that with my full chest. Without any umming or ahhing. No one of. They are my favourite band. And I've still never seen them live. It's weird. I've never seen them live. They are my favourite band. But I'm not actually in any hurry to see them live. There's a part of me that likes the idea of them. More than actually going to see them live. In fact, they played London at All Points East Festival earlier this year. And as great as it was to see them on stage again... Most of the comments after the show were about how bad the sound was. It wasn't loud enough. All Points East Festival happens in Victoria Park, which is surrounded by residential areas, so they are limited to how loud they can be, which can sometimes affect the crowd. And it looks like it did particularly for The Strokes, which is a shame. I think it was episode 86 where I thought The Strokes were going to be playing a secret show, and the word was out that tickets were available if you had to get there early. So I was in that queue... 
and I recorded an episode of being in that queue, everyone lining up and hoping we'll get tickets, only to find out that the whole thing was a hoax and there was no Strokes show. That's how important that band still is. That room was full of people queuing up on a rumour that the Strokes might play London. And that rumour turned out to not be true, but that's how much love there is for that band. I think they are in that most upper echelon of musicians. One, where their name is is and will forever be used to describe future artists, the way that if you're a solo male R&B performer that can sing and dance, Michael Jackson will get brought up. If you play guitar, particularly with a lot of chorus, there's a good chance Prince will get brought up. If you're a band that sings harmonies, the Beach Boys are going to get brought up. The Strokes are that type of band. They are just part of the language that's used to describe rock music. And that is an achievement that belongs to an elite few. And I think the Strokes belong there. And I look forward to, one, their enrollment, what do you call it? Their induction to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, because that's got to be coming at some point. But also there was a series, a TV series called Classic Albums that would go in deep on the making of an album. You would hear songs from the album and then you'd hear stems, which I mentioned a couple, I think last episode, stems are the individual tracks that go into each song. So it might be just the guitar, just the vocal. There's episodes with Jimi Hendrix, well, about Jimi Hendrix albums, about Nirvana, about Jay-Z. I think there's got to be an episode about The Strokes, Is This It? If you've never heard of The Strokes, I highly recommend you go and check them out. I'd recommend listening to them in chronological order. If you can listen to the Modern Age EP, do. But I'd say start with Is This It? And be prepared to hear 11 songs that sound very similar, but they touch on a vibe. There's something nostalgic yet futuristic. It's catchy. It's got a rhythm to it. That's another thing about The Strokes. They seem to unshackle rock and roll from that dad rock type of vibe think about oasis or coldplay in the early stages you can't really do much dancing to those bands you can't not dance to last night it's got a boom ta boom ta boom ta boom ta that was there in the early stages of rock but seemed to get forgotten around the 90s but the strokes brought that back this episode is already 38 minutes it could be three hours so i'll just end it there thank you very much for listening to anyone who has do go and check out The Strokes. I hope you enjoyed this. And yeah, if I get around to it, and I will get around to it, I'll do some more episodes about other artists that have influenced me. It's not so much about a cohesive chronological retelling of their story. You can always go to Wikipedia or, as I mentioned before, Meet Me in the Bathroom by Lizzie Goodman. I can't recommend that book enough. You can check out the official story about The Strokes for yourselves. This was more about my story with The Strokes. But thank you for listening. And I'll catch you on the next episode. Take care.